Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's episode, I was joined by David Washer, the Director of Data Operations at Clue and Battle Card Building Extraordinaire. This episode was actually our monthly live edition of the Competitive Enablement Show, where we have an audience in attendance that jump on, ask us questions, give feedback, and really just talk all things compete. It's my favorite day of the month, and it's a great opportunity for people in the community to connect with one another, learn from one another, share their experiences. I'm biased, but I think it's one of the best things going and compete today. And in this specific edition, we got into all things battle cards, something that Dave is incredibly passionate about. Specifically, we get into actually the strategies you need in place and the foundation you need in place before you even begin building battle cards. Because what really irks Dave and what we've actually seen across the board here at Clue is if you're just building contents for content's sake, you're doing it all wrong. But we also get tactical and Dave breaks down how you can build specific battle cards, what makes them good and what makes them mediocre and how you can make them as applicable as possible for your sellers using the no say show method. Plus, we go through some real examples of the good, the bad and the ugly in the battle card world. Lastly, Dave also shares how you should structure your battle card so that that intel supports uh, a seller trying to deposition at a high level, but also you're not just omitting those more detailed, nuanced feature function comparisons that your product teams and solution engineers care about, but how you can deliver that in a way that it doesn't muddy the water for reps that need to remain at that high level. This was an awesome session. I can't wait for you to hear from Dave, learn from everyone else that was there ton of questions. There's a ton of questions we didn't even get to. So I think we might have a mailbag edition of this too. So if you're listening to this now, drop me a question, a thought, a comment, uh, and we'll make sure we get to that in the follow-up episode as well. Lastly, if you haven't checked out the Compete Network yet, please, please, please do so. I cannot wait to share what's coming down the pipe. Plus, we've already got some awesome content, some awesome shows on there. And we just launched some social profiles we are now social so if you find the compete network on linkedin you will be finding daily you'll find clips and content and thoughts from some of the best compete experts in the industry plus there'll be plenty more coming including virtual events and hey maybe an in-person event too so please go check out the compete network on our social profiles and with that all said Let's get into today's episode. All right. Okay, people are people are trickling in. Let's let's kick this thing off. First of all, if you haven't come to a CE live before, welcome. I am Adam. I'm on the content team at Clue. I'm the host of the show and I'm stoked to have you with us. If you're returning guest or member or you've been to one of these before, you know the drill make new folks feel welcome, show them the ropes, connect with them before, during, after the show. That's what we're here for. And if you're new, I'll introduce you to our mantra. We, we bang the table. This is not a webinar. We speak that into existence because we've got plenty to talk about today. There's a lot we want to cover, but we want to hear from you throughout. So get going in the chat. If you agree with what we're talking about, disagree, you've got questions, you want to share your own wisdom, let us know within the chat. And we also want to cover what you want to learn about. This is free flowing. So drop your questions as well as the session is going along. Ben, my partner in crime, the man with the plan in the background will be reaching out privately if you want to come on screen and ask your question or give your take. So we'll be doing that bit too. And lastly, on this note, it will be recorded. The session will be recorded. Don't worry. It will be up on our YouTube feed, on our podcast feed. We'll email everything out to you as well tomorrow. Ben, do you want to drop the link to our YouTube channel and the podcast feed ahead of time so people just know where to look before the content comes out? I've got two more things, housekeeping, before we can get into the meat and potatoes here. There's also an accompanying resource to the session. We'll see if we get to all of the five laws, or as Dave said before the session, five 
guidelines, proposals, laws that maybe we could potentially break. Um, there's a, a company and resource as well. So Ben, I'm putting you on the spot here as well. If you could drop the link to that as well, and we'll send that on the email. And then lastly, a little teaser for all of you in attendance. We are working on something behind the scenes right now. We have a battle cards course in the works that will be live very, 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 very shortly. I can't wait to share it with everyone. And that's our little marketing teaser for that part. But let's get into today. For today's session, we're diving deep into battle cards. We'll get into the nitty gritty. We'll get tactical. We'll get into some specific cards. We'll also get strategic and philosophical about how you should approach building battle cards. And to help me do so is David Washer, my friend David, the Director of Data Operations at Clue, one of the inaugural Clue members. And Dave has forgotten more about battle card building than I'll ever know. Dave, thank you so much for joining me. Super excited to have this opportunity. I have never drawn this big of a crowd before. Usually I can convince like two or three people to listen to my stuff regularly. <laughs> um, so I'm very, very excited to be here. And I'm very excited for mostly the questions that are going to come up. I'm somebody who loves to just answer things and deal with things on the fly. So if you've got some ideas, questions, or things you want to bounce out there, um, go for it. Discussion is always more fun than presentation. Dave, Dave's not lying either. We'll go, we'll, we'll go pull behind the curtain about 30 minutes before the session. I get a, a Slack huddle from Dave saying, Hey, I want to add this into our session. Can I, <laughs> can I build a battle card quick to show everyone? I want to give a good example. So he's not lying that he's ready to work on the fly here. Um, let, let, let's get into this. Like we, we've, we want to deliver as much information for you by the top of the hour. So let's get right into this. Dave, What's the most common mistake you see made within battle cards today? I think it comes down to those main points of what people do when they think they need a battle card and the jump in. So first thing they do is they jump in too soon and they go, I'm going to find the strengths and the weaknesses about this particular thing without knowing what or why they're doing it. So essentially what they do is they bite off the research before they can scope it. And then they end up in the zone where they built something that isn't actually what the end user actually needed. So I think the critical piece there is just, am I doing the right thing with what, with my finite amount of time to build um, the right thing? So a lot of priority related um, mistakes. And then the other is maybe it's just too light. You know, maybe it's just not what the particular audience is actually looking for. Um, and we'll get into some examples later. And one of the things actually, when we were, we've talked to you a lot, the content team over here always like to pick Dave and the insights team's brain when it comes to how to build battle cards. And one of the things as well you've mentioned is like, don't make content for content's sake. And so before we get into like specific battle card building, I want to share my screen and let you take the floor here about what you should even be thinking about before you build battle cards, whether or not you should be building a battle card on a specific competitor. So I'm gonna share my screen very quickly here and, and let you walk us through what you should be thinking about in your approach to building battle cards. Um, some of you, I, know, I recognize some names in the chat, will recognize this from something that I was sharing uh, with our customers. But it's, it's this idea that when people go into building battle cards, they start with this idea of, I have to build a battle card and jump for strengths and weaknesses right away. Um, but the truth is a lot of the times you don't know if it's a competitor or not. So if you're thinking about how do I do research in a methodologic, methodological way, something like that, I believe that's a word, I made it up. Um, you can think about these layers that sort of give you these decision criteria to say, how much more work should I do on this particular competitor before I really dive into the super analysis? So the first layer are things you can pull from the company website, from the web quite easily. You can go there, look at their case studies, look at how they're talking about their customers, all those kinds of things. And you can probably identify pretty readily the target customer. You can also go to their website and you can also see claims uh, through press releases, through news articles, through these kind of things. And you'll see we're the best in the industry, fastest in the industry, quickest. So you get a good idea of that. 
The third one is the product pieces, which is again, looking around and just finding what are they saying about their product? What does their product actually do? And how are they trying to basically write about it? And so if you go through those three pieces and they don't align with anything that you're doing, you're probably not looking at a competitor and there may be something that might be off in your value proposition that's drawing in the right folks. So if you go through those three and it doesn't align, maybe there's something you can just simply um, change there. Uh, second layer is you can't get to the second layer without doing the first layer. So how could you understand a positioning statement if you don't know who their target customer is, you don't know who they're, what they're claiming to do or what their product does. Um, their approach to market, same idea. Their approach to market is going to be dependent on who they're targeting. So you need to understand those fundamentals to get to those second layers. If you go through those second layers and you go, yep, these folks still align, then you've got this candidate for competitive. And so one of the examples um, that I think of are, well, personally, personally to Clue is just what are those tools outside of the realm of CI that people think cover, but don't really cover what we need to do. Um, and so as you go through these positioning statements, approach to market and features, you can start to identify when and where you truly have a competitor versus when and where you've got, you know, somebody in a different space doing something completely different that might have some overlap with some of the feature or functionality. And so the reason you're doing this as well is to sort of prioritize or determine where should I actually be building battle cards too? Because I think that's a question is like, there's this starting point, like, where, where, who actually deserves that amount of resources, time, research? If you think about how much it takes to build a full-on tier one high-level battle card, and then you think about how many you could do that for, you'd have to know you're actually competing against them. And so for folks that are just starting out their program, this is a good way to find out who you're actually competing against. You can use Salesforce data. You can use data from around the web. You can literally just talk to your sellers and say who's coming up and who's you're seeing there. And then you can start this secondary piece to see if they're truly competitors or if you could dif just differentiate on value proposition alone and make a really light tier two or tier three battle card saying, this is how we tackle anybody in this space. This is how we tackle anybody in this space. So the idea behind this exercise is when you're spending your time on a tier one, you should make sure you're spending your time on the right tier one. When you go to these lower ones, it's about making sure you spend the adequate amount of time, but not way too much time. Um, because mm -hmm. that's where people tend to go. I've got 40 battle cards and you go, you probably don't need 40 battle cards unless you're dealing in 50 different industries. I, I put the cart before the horse as well a little bit on here. I wanted to get a sense, Ben, we had a poll too. Uh, I want to get a sense of the level of confidence or expertise folks in attendance right now have with their battle card building knowledge. So we've got a couple options there between starting from scratch don't even know what a battle card is, how I should do it, to I'm the master, I'm here to share my wisdom. I saw, I saw our good friend Pete in attendance and he, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll hate me saying this, but he, he could be at the latter stage here that he's here to share his wisdom. Maybe we'll even, we'll, we'll nudge him to get on camera, but I don't know if that'll happen. Um, so yeah, let, let us know where, where, you, where you feel like you sit right now. That'd be cool to get a sense of, of, of our audience. There was a, a wicked comment from Dustin in the chat just saying, if you ask sellers who their top tier competitors are, uh, they'll say everyone. Um, and it's true. And that's where you have to start to go, yes, I'll take that as an input. Um, so it doesn't mean ignore what they say because they're going to tell you who they're seeing and why they're seeing them. Um, but you want to figure out what are those different avenues to figure out how much work you need to do on each of them. So sales is a great input mechanism because they'll tell you who they're up against and then validating in the market and thinking about how we approach each different sector of the market is, is those key things that the product marketers are going to be needing to do. Absolutely. So the results are in, can everyone see this? Uh, the results have come in. We've got like a nice mix, but it's really around the starting from scratch, couple, uh, some early days battle cards and a good foundation. So we've got a nice mix. I think we can cover a lot of what we've got on deck but again feel free to ask specific questions that you want us to get to dave you as we mentioned we have laws we have things that we put our we we plant our flag and say you have to abide by this but then 
as Dave is want none to be a bit of a bad boy. He disagrees. And so let's, in that case, let's, let's share sort of this battle card building framework to set the stage, ground the conversation and give us your take in terms of how you should approach building battle cards as well and the cards you're making here. Um, exactly. That's where I was looking for. So let's go. I'm going to take this poll out of my screen view. Um, so this is one of those things where we're constantly looking at how this pyramid evolves. Um, because uh, essentially what we want to do is think about where do you start? And then how do you peel back those layers of the onions? I believe Brandon mentioned that in the chat as well. But the first thing you need to be able to do is identify the competitor. And the first thing your sales need to do is identify who's in the deal effectively. Um, it's not always easy to do. And in some cases, it ends up being pretty vague. Um, but if you can think about it, of if you know who's coming up in deals, you have the ability to build that framework around them. So your goal is to help people understand how to uncover the competitors. And then when you find particular trends in competitors, you can hear certain words that'll trigger and be like, I know if they're asking about that feature, or I know if they're talking about that particular topic, it's going to be something from this competitor. So one of the ones that I always think of is one example when I was working with a customer is they always got pegged in this black box of AI. So they had a tool that did AI, but you couldn't get to the black box. And so everybody used to throw that FUD at them. Uh, and they knew the particular competitor that would throw that FUD at them. So if they started hearing black box, they knew it was this particular competitor going to be in that deal. And that's one of those things where you can think about how to uh, spot them. The next one is quick dismiss positioning. And these are often quick reference cards that sellers can use as like, oh yeah, I remember this is how we want to position against this particular set of competitors, type of competitors or competitor. And so the idea is if you've got five minutes, how do you find out what you need to do to generally position in the right way? So let's say you just found out someone's in a deal. Here's how we can position in this way. And the idea is if you can identify them, you can start to use those quick dismiss and push the value proposition that you can lead and your team can lead with that helps them understand why your product is the best one. And then as we get layer and peel back more onions, you get into this really deep parts. And this is where there's a ton of value and a ton of information. But the idea from a seller's perspective is how do we keep it simple from the start? So if we can help them identify who's in the deal, then they can lean on this quick dismiss positioning. And as they need more information, they can go deeper and deeper into this. And we can boil things up into that simpler and simpler view that makes things actionable um, for the seller. So that structure, is there, is there a starting point you typically, you typically go with for someone? We've got folks here, I, I wanna say, what was it? 30% of the store starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Is there a recommended starting point or area of focus? Cause you, Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't build all of these right away. What, what would, what's your, what do you, what is your take on that front? Going back to the very beginning, it's prioritization. So which are the competitors that are going to make the biggest impact to your bottom line? One, you have sales as an input. Two, you have CRM data as an input. Sometimes it's horrendous. Uh, three, you have marketing and product as an input who also have probably spent a ton of time thinking about the competition in different ways. Um, and then you can think about where your messaging and market aligns. And that's where you look at external and that layer one versus layer two. The second is tier one competitor, tier two competitor, tier three competitor, and going into where do they fall? Um, and then third, you want to think about, I don't need to build these massive 300 page, de page decks at the very first thing that I built. What I probably need to do at the start is build some guidance on how to approach particular sets of competitors from a value proposition perspective, from a how do we point back to our future set. And so what folks tend to do is go, I'm going to do all the research on our tier ones. They spend weeks and weeks building these battle cards and folks go, they're way too in detail. They're way too in depth. I don't know how to use any of this information. And so that's why you break off little chunks and you go, if I can think about... Um, strengths and weaknesses as the core, then I get those strengths and weaknesses set up and I can share them with sales. And then we can go sales, what do you think about this and how did you use it? And then you build the stories on top of strengths and weaknesses where I think the real value and the real future comes in is how to win. 
and why we win and why we lose. Really helping folks understand how to take that information that's in these bullets of strengths and weaknesses and turn them into a story that they can reframe back to their value proposition rather than just saying this is their strength and this is their weakness. And I'll get into an example of that in a second. Absolutely. You've taken the words right out of my mouth here, Dave. We had a question from a listener before the session started. So I don't know if she's in attendance. Uh, Lainey, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. If it's Lani, Lainey, uh, are you in attendance? And if you want to ask your question, if not, I can, uh, I can just drop it for you here, Dave. Um, Hi. Um, yeah, you pronounce it right. It's Lainey. Um, Lainey, nice to meet you, Lainey. Nice to meet you too. Um, my question was, um, I guess more so around how can you ensure that a battle card is providing value and going beyond just a feature comparison, product comparison of strengths versus weaknesses? Um, the, the overall, there's, there's such an important part of feature comparisons that come down to CI's uses in a lot of different avenues within the company. So where, where I tend to say feature comparisons are not a great option for sellers, because what it does is it sort of gives people that lean of, we have it, they don't, or they have it, we don't. And if they have it and we don't, should I keep trying on that deal? What do I do next? Becomes that next set of questions. And so uh, from a sales perspective, it's not always the right angle, but from a product perspective, that's what they need to see, the reality of what we have versus what we don't. And so what people tend to do is create those feature comparisons for product, and then sales sees them and goes, I want these feature comparisons. But what I've started thinking about is your goal in the sales process is to repoint to your value proposition. And when you're looking at features, your product team is building features around that value and that customer story. And so when you're thinking about the feature comparison that works really well, if you roll up those features into buckets to say, let's say it's in the sales enablement space and you've got a bucket that covers the sales enablement use case. And you say, we are better than them in sales enablement. And then someone clicks on sales enablement and it tells the story about how those, those features around sales enablement really add value to the customer. That's the way I sort of see the feature comparisons going within um, the sales lens. And I actually see a lot of customers just doing that naturally being like, we have it, they don't, doesn't work anymore. The nature of compete and the number of competitors in your space is too high. So that differentiation becomes at the solution level and the value level. Dave, do you want to walk through sort of this is this is again behind the scenes. This is the thing that Dave wanted to share and put into action because he wanted to show a real example of what that card could look like. And he built one out here. So I'll quickly share my screen again of a real example of how you could build out a strengths and weaknesses card that goes beyond, like you mentioned there, just here's a feature that this is how it stacks up. This actually yeah, gets this your is- point around telling more of a story rather than making a point. This is a little bit um, uh, a little bit different than the feature comparison scenario. And I wish I had put together an example because it was a great question and I get it a lot. Um, so I'll probably do something uh, that we can probably throw on the blog around feature comparison versus value comparison and how to think about it slightly differently. Because really when you boil it down, you'd be like, oh, it's the same thing, but there's a nuance to how you think about it that helps you create that value side. Um, So one of the examples we see regularly is customers come in with a one, a PDF or a PowerPoint or something with ridiculous amounts of data um, boiled up into eight point font. And what you end up with is when you pull out the strengths and weaknesses, this is typically how they would be listed. So think of yourself as a seller. And what I, what I'll always emphasize is put yourself in the audience shoes. If you're a strategy person or supporting a strategy team or supporting a product team or a marketing team, what can they take from this and do something with? So what happens is we typically created CI for strategy. And so we boiled it up into these decks to go up the chain. Um, When you look at these strengths and weaknesses, the idea was you'd be presenting and you'd tell the story behind it, and then you'd probably have some notes underneath. So this is the boiled up version. But when you think about yourself as a new seller and you go, okay, so this competitor's strengths is that they have a wide geographic presence and large customer base. So what? 
And this is where you'll start to hear new folks come in and just start to ask these kind of questions of like, I have no idea how to use this. So simple. And by the way, this is just sample stuff. So this is not anything specific. However, it replicates what I've seen in others. Um, okay, their strength is they have a simple and competitive pricing model. How do I address that? So if they do and their focus is pricing, how do I turn a customer's mind or change a customer's mind in this? And so example one is a little too late. However, some folks love this. And when you think about a veteran seller who knows exactly what they're doing, they just need the trigger to say, oh yeah, I know exactly where I'm going to take and use these particular points because we can weave the value. So yes, they have a wide geographic presence, but maybe they went too broad and they've got all this geographic presence, but they don't know how to support a particular market for a particular company that we know how to support. One example of a customer I worked with was like, we know the UK very well. That's where we operate. That's where we do things. This other company is trying to enter with a generic approach. And therefore we can specialize by, um, we have the ability to focus on the UK and you're needing stuff to support the UK and we can integrate with those other systems. So it was helping the seller tell the story that changed their battle cards from these vague points to something I could actually use. So flip to the next one. The next version we see is, is like a step up. And it's a tougher to read, but there's more information. And this is like the detailed pieces. So again, the strength comes down to, we've got a wide geographic presence and a large customer base. But what they did is they provided the details. So here's the details between behind how we got to this point. And now you're like, okay, this is really, really valuable because I can read through and understand this, but I still don't know what this means in terms of our company and our positioning. And how do I weave this back to our value proposition? And so what we're starting to see is when you're thinking of a seller picking up a battle card, a battle card isn't necessarily this like, zone of here's a bunch of information that you can refer to from time to time, although it is, but more and more it's getting into this, how do I take and use this information in a deal to tell a broader story? Um, and so if you go to the next slide, you can think about what does a seller need to know in order to leverage or shift the customer's thinking or help change their mind? Um, from this particular point. So if they're getting stuck in this, well, they've got a wide geographic presence, what do I need to know in order to address that particular concern? Um, what do I need to know about that particular thing that the, customer, that the competitor is going to say to the customer so that I can reframe it? And then on the next one, what do you need to say? So what are some examples? For veteran folks, they probably won't need these examples because they've probably done this quite a few times. For new folks, it's great to give people that example so that they can take and modify it. Um, and then the third one is what's your evidence? So people are less interested in hearing a seller tell them what to do and say, hey, let's let our case studies speak for themselves or let's let these quotes speak for themselves or let's let these customer stories speak for themselves. And so what we sort of see is the shift and the transition is people know that their battle cards boiled up to that simple level are not necessarily um, great for people to pick up and read, but they don't have the time to do more. So the question they have is when to do more. And that's where if you start to ask the questions about if I put this point on a battle card, how does somebody use it? That's where you start to go, oh, maybe strengths and weaknesses isn't the right two cards we want to go with. Maybe it is why we win and why we lose. And they can be based off the strengths and weaknesses, but they help tell that story based on those. So when we think about that transformation, it's really single points can be used by certain people, not all. Um, bulky information can be used by certain people, not all. Um, breadcrumbing and thinking through how to simplify the transition of, I see the information, this is what I'm looking for. This is how I use it. This is what I need to do. That works for pretty much everybody. And it allows people to get the simple stuff as well as get the depth they need. Totally. It feels like there's like that midpoint of like, there's too much, a lot of information overload. There's too little, there's no context. This is how you make this applicable. And context matters across the board when you're building battle cards. I, what, Dave, you there have something a, to say that I don't want to say. Yeah, there is a, so, so I really like the No Say Show because it's simple and a lot of people really resonate with it. But I've seen folks use Ask, Tell. I've seen folks use any other number of words. What you're thinking about is 
if you put yourself in the seller's shoes and you ask them what they truly need or how they need to do this, one, they'll tell you a lot of stuff because they want to win a deal. And they'll say like, oh, they didn't give me the right information. There's a whole bunch of things around relationships with sales and building that effectively. Um, but the, the truth is, if you can figure out what they truly need by looking at across the board, what they're using, what you're hearing in Salesforce, what you're seeing around the market, you can help them tell that story more effectively. And that's where it's like the product marketer's job is to fit that story into what the customer is looking for. So you help sales tell the, yeah, sales tell the story. On, on that note too, I know Brandon, our own CE manager over here at Clue, the very meta, the man who runs Compete at the Compete company. He's done a lot of work recently around to Lainey's first kind of question and around this point too about applicability. How'd you get out of feature, feature selling? And Brandon's been really working and building on this value selling framework. So Brandon, I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'd love okay. you to kind of jump on camera and share a little bit about your approach and what you're doing to work on this value selling framework to make this applicable and get out of the feature comparison bake up that the chat seems to be talking about. I know Zavo's dropped a lot on that note as well. Totally. I was actually just going to give a shout out to, uh, to Zavo who said, who just nailed it in his comment, which is oftentimes if you're in a future war, it's helpful to pull back to the high level and focus on the customer's problem. Right. And I think this is something we hear across our sales team, but also even across our product management team, right? When I'm, uh, when I'm enabling them with Intel on a competitor's product offering, let's say, it's one thing to understand what the competitor can and can't do, but really what sales reps and product managers and our executives want to know is how is that resonating in the market? Or is that solving the customer's pain? Is there a better way to solve that pain? And how can we position ourselves uh, in a superior way? So I think um, it's, it's, it's a very topical subject because I've been having many conversations around this recently, which is, you know, it's, it seems like there's this notion out there that a lot of compete teams want to provide like a feature comparison chart. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's a movement now that's showing that like sales reps don't want feature comparison charts and that's becoming more of a, a mainstream idea, but I'm still hearing that, oh, we want the feature comparison chart for our product team, but actually most product teams want to know more than the feature comparison chart. They also want to know how is this resonating? What do customers like? What do customers not like? So I think it's, it's exactly what Zavo said, uh, more succinctly than I can. It's, it's how does this solve the problem for the customer? Um, and I think that nailed it. Uh, Scott, Scott has a question here. Scott, do you want to ask your question as well here around the potential of a great battle card that doesn't necessarily have strength and weakness tiles? Yeah, I'm looking at, uh, Adam, can you hear me? I got you. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I'm looking at some of the other, you know, um, tiles and areas you covered and that stuff's all great. And I, I totally agree. It's one thing to say what they're strong and what they're weak at, but okay, how do I apply that? <laughs> You know, if I'm an AE or an SE, right? Um, I will tell you my previous two stops, I, you know, utilize battle cards as strengths and weaknesses. When I got to where I am now, you know, I, we didn't have them. And as I went through the content and updated it and refreshed it, and I'm like, you know what? These kind of work without it. Why confuse the point, make the battle cards more crowded? I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just curious of what the, you know, consensus is or the thought process. I mean, I, I think ultimately every battle card, I mean, based on organization, it's going to have different sections that are more critically important. One of the the two layer or the there's five layers to that two layer um, <laughs> thing that I was talking about at the start. And what I started realizing when I was building battle cards is you really have to fundamentally know the strengths and weaknesses. And to be honest, the SWOT analysis of a competitor. So it's not this like um, thing where you want to do a SWOT analysis and present it. But when you think about how to win, why we win, why we lose, you have to know what their strengths are and weaknesses are. So you're not going to play into their strengths and weaknesses. So personally, I think strengths and weaknesses on the battle card fall away. Um, but I've seen folks basically turn their strengths and weaknesses into the why we win, why we lose, because that's how their teams referred to strengths and weaknesses. So why we win should tell a story of how to take this position um, deposition other companies and put that value side on it. And if you change your strengths card to do that exact same thing, then it really doesn't matter about what title you choose. So the main thing is like, how do you work? Um, how do you work the story behind each of the points? And then the title of the card can adjust to whatever your teams are going to be most familiar with. 
Scott, I'm curious, is there a, is there a structure that you're working with? Now you mentioned now you're, is it your third, third time with these cards? You don't feel there's necessarily the need for strengths and weaknesses. Is there something that's almost like synonymous that's working in, in place of having like an explicit strengths and weaknesses card? Yeah. So, so I mean, to be clear, it's not that I don't think you don't need strengths and weaknesses. The, the question was around, you know, I, can you still have a great battle card without those two tiles? And I, I think the answer is yes. If you, you know, you focus on how to position properly, what do I say? What do I do? What do I show? Like you guys started out with. And um, I think maybe if we do that well, then you might not necessarily need it. Yep. It's, you, you need to have that understanding yourselves and it's incorporating that throughout all of the different cards you're creating. And, and plus I wake up at night in cold sweats, uh, cheering that sales reps are going to just copy the strengths and weaknesses, <laughs> drop it into a slide, <laughs> put it in front of a customer, and then, then I've got a mess. Yeah, so. that's real. I have the same. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, uh, that is too good. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure everybody on this call has this experience. <laughs> Raise your hand. Yeah. what scott said hit a little too close to home let me know when the webinar is on how to best handle external facing requests that's the one i need to jump on yeah actually that'll be that'll be a topic. great session I, yeah I saw, why can't I, saw... I print this battle card exactly <laughs> sure. because i have gps on all of you and i will come find you because you're not supposed to exactly <laughs> You know, it's funny, this. they respect that with every other piece of corporate information. For some reason, the competitive stuff, you know. When it comes to, when it comes to competitive, they want to, sh why do they want to reveal their card so much? This might be a, like a deeper philosophical question. I know we probably got a couple of AEs hiding in and watching this too. Expose yourself. Why do you want to share all this competitive intel? I will take a hypothesis here. Um, one, if you've got a good compete team, they've done a lot of good job building out that research. And what you find is it's a very easy route to be like, I don't need to tailor this. I can just throw them everything and let the customer choose their journey. And it's one of those ones of like, uh, I, I, I like, I want to say the word lazy, but it's not because I know sellers work their butts off, yeah. but it's really just like, it's an easy route. And if I can be like, throw this over and it tends to work. Oh my gosh, it worked. And as soon as it stops working, they'll literally rewrite the story and go, oh, totally. I'm going to take this and rewrite it into this frame. So they'll use it till it doesn't work. And then when it doesn't work, they'll adjust. Um, the problem is uh, it starts to not work a lot faster if that's the case. Yeah. I, I try telling them guys, you know, every deal, every opportunity is unique to throw stuff against the wall and hope something sticks. Is, I don't think effective. That's a that's a great take, Scott. I love I love you uh, coming on here and sharing that sharing that example. That is great, great addition to the conversation and super relevant to I think Dave's examples he was walking through here. I uh, I want to get to a, another law or what what are we calling them now, Dave? I don't they they're getting flimsier by the minute here. You're just breaking down my laws, my marketing well, lingo. It's not illegal unless you get caught, so it's a law. <laughs> this law is around and they they bleed together, but creating a consistent structure with your battle cards and making them accessible too. So what I loved as well, Dave, when we interviewed you, spoiler alert, we obviously locked Dave in a room and interviewed him and interrogated him for hours on end in the making of our course that's coming out. But what you really beat the drum about is like more doesn't mean better and don't just make content for content's sake. And where that lesson I think is really applicable is how you structure your battle cards too. So based on that, framework we looked at with the no safe show and also sort of the battle card pyramid how should folks be structuring their battle cards uh there's a concept that we like to talk about clue called breadcrumbing and so for those that are uninitiated to that concept there, i'd love for you to kind of share a little bit on that um breadcrumbing is the idea that we talked about uh pretty much at the start of just saying there are some people that like that succinct point and know exactly what it needs so they don't need to go any further. Um, there are some people that like the story because they don't have the experience so they'll click in and know the story. And there are some people who are looking for those details. And so one of the things that I like, this is my like shameless thinking around clue, but the clue everywhere thing is people access information in a different way and look at information at different times and points. And so the clue idea is the clue everywhere piece of like, you can access it from wherever you are because you're a seller and you're going to find it when you need it. And if we don't make it accessible, you're not going to find it. And when you're thinking about the breadcrumbing piece of it, 
you're literally thinking about that same thing. Make it easy to find and make it easy to consume for whoever your reader might be. And of course, you're not going to hit everybody. You do have to be a bit of like play those ideas. But if you go, here's the high level of what you need to know, you only have to click into what you need to know more of. And then you get this full story of where to go. That's the idea of the deep dive and breadcrumbing. And then it allows you to give those layers of detail. And again, peel back that onion for the folks that want it. And for the folks that don't, you get the boiled up version and they get to use that as they need to. And when we think of battle cards, I know it's tradition, we've always been battle cards for sales. And what we've seen is that's not necessarily the case at all times. I know I see Dustin in the audience and we, we were chatting on the podcast a few weeks back about potentially starting to build battle cards for product teams. And where, in terms of how bread, breadcrumbing intel and information comes into play, you say you get into more of the nitty gritty things that don't necessarily need to be talked about on a sales call. Like what are the different kind of audiences, users that can access more detailed information and, and why, why does breadcrumbing kind of help, so, I guess, support more end users, I guess. Personally, what my team is doing right now is we're spending a lot of time. So one of the things, again, I like about what we do from a CI perspective is the structures, the thinking, the delivery all works for any use case because it's really just about what information you need to do. So what we started to try and map out was what are the important things and what are the reasons a product team, a strategy team, or a marketing team is gonna ask you for information? And it's going to be white space. What's the opportunity? Hey, I, you know what? I think we've got an opportunity to take out this. Can you go do some research and find out what's going on here? That might be a one-off. Because, it, you know, you do some research and you go, you know what, it's not really something we want to look into. Or you go, yes, this is something we want to look into. So then that team takes it, runs with it, and it goes to the next layer of, hey, we've built this a little bit forward. Can we evaluate how this is going? Much like Brandon was saying, what's the voice of the customer in the market today? What's going on here? And then you think about that. And then the last is, while you're operating, what are the challenges that are coming up on the product feature sets that you're hearing from customers? What's going on with the competitors across those feature sets? And so the, the only framing difference that I would think about is, again, know your audience and what they're looking for. Product, product tends to have specific requests, and then they want to monitor. So if they have a specific request, it might be a one-off research project that could translate into a monitor. But if you've got those feature solutions, it's going to be, how do I stay on top of these feature solutions in the market? And again, you can do a lot of that through the same methodology. You're just flipping who the audience is. So the information you create is going to be different. And I think that's one of the fundamental um, challenges is when you create a battle card for sales, um, people think that that battle card works for other teams, but it doesn't. And the one that I see most often is I created this battle card for the executive team, and now I'm going to give it to sellers and hope they can pick up and run with it. That's one of those big mistakes where it's just like those audiences do not have the same goals or thinking. And so you just have to know who your audience is before you start creating. But the basis of the information is largely going to be the same. So it's, it's again, catering to your audience. But what I love around breadcrumbing allows you to cater to that audience and their different needs and sets as well. I Angie has a question here. Angie, do you want to jump on and ask your question too? Because this is, I, I, wanna, I want Dave's take on this one. Sure. Which one? I think I've had a couple. In there. <laughs> well, I've, I've missed I've missed you on a few here, but I, I like this one around the third party hiring or having. Yeah, um, we don't do that at our organization, which I think is a huge miss. Um, and I was just wondering, like, how other people on this call felt? Is it a must have that you have that third party credibility? How what percent of your pursuits are you doing using that on? Mm -hmm. Just to make sure, because that's, I feel like a lot of times when we try to do our own debriefs, it's so surface, yep. it, it just doesn't tell us anything. Um, I think the biggest thing with effective use of third parties is knowing what you're going to get them to do and having that goal in mind. So I've seen folks use third parties poorly, and it tends to be that thing of like, we had some budget, I'm going to throw it out there and let's see what happens. And so they don't have that buy-in of the stakeholders of what the insights are actually going to be. And so where I see effective use of third parties is going, win-loss is extremely powerful. We know it. We know there's a ton of information there beyond compete. Actually, to be honest, all aspects of compete, persona-based, mm -hmm. these kind of things, why people are making decisions, and then who they're coming up against and why you knocked them out. 
Um, but it really takes an effective strategy around why are we going to do this and what are we going to do? And it's something that, again, my team is really thinking about. It's like, how do we help uh, folks like Angie and, and how does the Clue team help folks around here go, we need this for our program because this completely changes how we do compete. And we can show, you know, this ROI as a result of it. Appreciate Angie, that. Thank you so much for the question. I appreciate the engagement in the chat. It's hard for me to even keep up. There's so many good questions going on here as well. Um, I want to get tactical, Dave. Yeah. I want uh, we had another question ahead of time, specifically around the how to spot them card. And I'd love to kind of get your take on this. Uh, Frankie from Movista, friends over at Movista was asking me about this, how you can enable sales to find out who the competitor is. I, Frankie, are you, are you on the call with us? Give a little. Hi, yes, I am. Hey, hi, Frankie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you on here. Uh, yeah, you, you dropped me a question before the session and I, I mentioned it today, but I'd love to, I'd love for you to share what, what your question was and, and the, what you're trying to uncover with it. Yeah, I, I was um, wondering how can you enable sales to like help determine who the competitor is first off? Um, and then also in deals that they don't know who the competitor is, um, how are we able to enable them without that type of information? Um, that's, those are two great questions. One, I will give a shout out if you haven't looked at the comment from Pete of why third parties are good uh, in the chat, take a look because that's a lot of the key pieces. Um, now on this one, it's, it's a really, um, nuanced question because what people go is they see the, how to spot them card and they go, all right, I'm going to do this. So what they do is they go to the competitor website, find the marketing messages, put the marketing messages in the card and go, that's how you spot them. And you're like, that's, <laughs> that rarely becomes the way you spot a competitor. And so the one thing that's very difficult about how to spot them and doing it effectively is, is what content should be in that card. And that's where it's like, one, if you haven't been in sales before, find a way to get some exposure to what sellers are going through and experiencing. If you have been in sales, then you'll have a bit of a, a tactic of understanding what to listen for and what to hear. But then there's also tools like Gong Course and any sort of recording where if you can see the recordings afterwards, you can also start to do it yourself and just go through those calls and see where did this competitor first come up? Um, because what you might see is you could probably identify a competitor, you know, two or three weeks before a salesperson could because of the nature of how much information you have and you're listening to. So when I think of how to spot them, I think one, ask your sellers. It's like, how did you know they were in the deal? Um, and get that sort of candid feedback. Part two is gong and chorus. Part three is your CRM data um, to take a look at if they are coming up, what's the scenario? So one example was uh, one of our customers always sees one particular competitor, but they only see them in the utility space. And so if you're going into the utility space, you're going to expect this competitor. And so it's all about basically figuring out that target customer story, um, who they're going to be going after and how they're going to be talking about you. Um, so I forget the name of the other card. I'm just blanking on it right now, but how to spot them or what they'll say about us. Those are two great options, especially if you can get that feedback um, uh, through those mechanisms, but it's not always perfect. So if the folks don't know, it's probably just about figuring out if they don't know and you don't know, um, then how do you start to learn that over time and say, what should you listen for? What are the flags? And the piece that turns into feedback from sales is if you ask sales, is this a good battle card? They're not going to answer you. They don't know what to answer. And they might think it's a really good battle card, but they're like, this doesn't help anybody. But if you ask them specifically, you know, Hey, do you know how to spot this competitor? Um, you'll see some people raise their hands and you go, okay, let's see what we've got from them. And then you iterate and validate over time. What, what I love about that as well is like the context of maybe, for example, if you have enough research to understand when we're in this industry, 90% of the time expect this competitor. So in terms of how to spot them, I mean, it's important, but you should also be like almost seeding your sellers ahead of time, like be under the expectation that that competitor will be present at some point during the deal. One of our C lives way back as well, we had our, one of our own AEs, um, Kayam on it. One of the interesting points he mentioned on that too is, one, it's really, really important and a really, really, if you want to be effective at this, enabling your SDR team, 
on this. So the people that are on that initial call, really, because then if they can understand a competitive presence before you even got to a demo call, so many times AEs are coming into demos themselves, trying to like navigate, figure out if a competitor is involved. But if they understand that beforehand, if SDR has notes beforehand, now your AE is already actively going to be able to position, deposition, understand how much they need to acknowledge the competitor or yeah, competitively position themselves. And another point he made as well is not only how to spot them, but kind of dig, understand how much they know about your competitors. Because they might have just done like a quick Google search and said, here's the list of three to four vendors in this space. I'm going to look at them all. Here's the G2 grid. And they might not actually know that much. And if you start going into this deep depositioning, you're kind of giving your competitor too much credence, too much uh, spotlight. Whereas they might also be someone that used your competitor software or product three or four times already. So really understand the level of their understanding of your competitors too, or awareness, I think is critical. I think uh, Dustin has a really good point on the uh, on the right hand side, but he was just Dustin. Saying, come join us. Come join yeah. us, Dustin. <laughs> I want to get your take. I love I love story it, time with Dustin here. Because sometimes when you start to write or try to write a how to spot them, you'll just find you're writing fluff. And if you write fluff to a seller, that's the last time they look at your battle card. Um, so when you're thinking about it, if it's like, well, maybe it's the questions to ask that's the higher priority, um, and. To be honest, I've seen it work a lot of different ways. If you know how to spot them and you can do it effectively, then go for it. But a lot of the times, helping folks know what questions to ask to identify them uh, is the right way. And then one thing that I like what you said was, don't don't set it up so you're prying so much on the competitor because you're talking too much about the competitor, but you want to think about how to weave those points back to your value proposition. Um, so you can get a feel for how the competitor is positioning without really talking about them too much. Um, uh, uh, that's sort of rambly, just sort of guidance, but we can dive deeper into that another time. <laughs> we can. I think we'll 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 get you on for another one of these. I think the I think the audience want that for sure. Uh, we are coming up on time, so I want to make sure again answering questions. So drop your questions in here as well. We can't get them today. We'll do a follow up session or record a one where we'll answer it mailbag style. I love answering audience questions on the podcast. Uh, there's there is another piece that we could get to as well if we don't have any specific questions around when you're building your battle cards the importance of getting getting feedback from your end users so i think it's been mentioned if you googled how to build a battle card you've probably seen get feedback from your end users duh obviously but i want to get your insight dave on how you actually work with a pilot group effectively like what teams have you seen nail this and vice versa like in terms of working with your end users to build the best Battlefield content possible. So my favorite for this was one of our early customers named Ken. There have been many since. Uh, I will not give any more details, but he was a good, very, very strong curator, really knew how to engage across stakeholders. Um, and so what the natural tendency for CI people to do is sales demanded a battle card. I'm building a battle card. There's your battle card. That's the end of the battle card discussion. But when you're thinking about the audience and what they need to do, it's about that bringing them along for the journey. And so it's typical sort of change management stakeholder engagement of you build certain versions and you give value while asking for feedback. But if you make your feedback general of saying, is this a good battle card? They'll say, no, that's the last time you'll talk to them. But if you say, do you know any more information about the strengths or the weaknesses of this competitor? Or do you know, how do you beat this competitor? Or what do you use when you're doing this? You'll get specific responses because sellers often want to tell their story. And so if you ask specific questions, you'll get specific answers. And then that can help you build the basis for it. So what uh, this particular individual did was he came in, they had very shoddy CI program in place, a lot of long wikis that were hard to find anything in. Um, he worked with folks to find out, you know, what they liked about those wikis and those kind of pieces, started building those relationships with sales leaders, marketing leaders, and so on, so he could communicate across. And then revamped a version into, you know, here's the three things you need to know, and then started evolution from there. So here's the three things you need to know. Is this good enough? No, this is not what we need. We need more of this. And then it became that partnership of rather than building, guessing, and throwing a complete battle card at them, he was bringing them along the journey 
of how do we get to the right content? And so it's one of those things of by the time he had finished, because he had brought them along the journey, he had countless amount of resources to come back to and say, I know these 15 people within the sales group who I can talk to at any point in time of if this is working or not. And what ended up happening is he would do quarterly meetings uh, with sellers. And instead of doing something separate from the tool, he would literally put the answers in the tool and then walk people through that tool and show them how to find the information within the platform so that they could self-serve more regularly. And then they would start to go to, they would go to the basically clue first, and then they would ask questions afterwards. So the idea is if you teach them where the information is, always update those like notes within that source information and then share it back. Um, you can create that behavior that they go look for it first and then they ask questions afterwards. And when they ask questions, then you start to get to those really, truly like 80% covered by this, 20% we need to spend time on because this is where we can make the difference in the long run. And gradually that 20% goes lower and then a new 20% comes up. And so it's how you stay on top of those cycles. But I was such a big fan of his approach and that feedback mechanism that it's really just like work uh, with particular groups, find your internal champions, find a few people that will be honest about their feedback, get that feedback and be specific about what you're asking about. It feels like we've come full circle here, Dave. It, what I love about that feedback is, is almost like an approach or a mindset too about how you build a battle card. If you got assigned, you need to build battle cards and you're just making content for content. Say, like, I need to meet X deliverable. I mean, we've probably all been there where you get assigned a task and you're like, all right, I got to go. I got to do this. And then after the fact, you're like, was this right? Was this wrong? And really that approach is sort of like your short-term mindset of like, I need to meet X. I'm going to bury my head down, do it for 12 hours. Then I'll get feedback. Whereas if you zoom out, think about the purpose, the why behind what you're doing, you essentially building a strategy and working alongside the people that are going to help you make this the best battle card possible or Dave. Yeah, there's two parts to this. One is if you spend too much time gathering requirements, people will get upset and never listen to you. If you deliver too early and it misses the mark, you'll also burn it. So it's really just like finding that fine line of uh, one. There's so many perfectionists in the CI PMM world that it's like you have to get out of your perfectionist. You're not going to have it perfect. It's an iterative process and you're finding new information as you go. So as long as you can get to that idea of you're not going to be done your battle card, because technically tomorrow somebody's going to hear something, um, that's one of those mentalities where it's like, ah, okay, I can just take this, update it, and I can do these you know, 75% complete work because my goal is to win the deal. And if this information helps win one deal, it was worth all the time I've spent on it. Um, one of the other things I, I was just remembering as just like a quick tip uh, I always tell folks to say, we build battle cards and prioritize based on what you put into your CRM data. So where you have issues with people putting in competitors, you can just say, we will, will prioritize given you're hearing them in this place. But if you're not hearing them there, then we're not going to prioritize because we're looking at that bottom line impact for our research. So literally just go... This is how we look for it. If you're searching for it within our platform, we'll watch for it. If you're adding these competitors within Clue, we'll start to prioritize those ones over any others. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you'll start to see little upticks. And you have to re-communicate multiple times mm -hmm. because people don't adopt right away, but you'll start to see more and more uh, cleanliness and data. And then you have a good story of like, once you truly know who, who's in your CRM, you have a good idea of where you want to spend your time next quarter. And that makes your reporting and ROI stuff a lot easier. Dave, that was a masterclass. This was great. Audience, this was awesome too. Getting your feedback, getting everyone that was willing to jump on, ask questions, give their takes. It's This is what makes this my favorite day of the month, every month. So I'm super thankful for everyone joining. Please give me some feedback as well about how we could do this session better, topics you want to get into, questions around battle cards. Do we want to get more tactical? Do we want Dave to break down specific battle cards? I actually have, level strategy philosophy. I forgot, Adam. One of the things I was going to say as you were wrapping up is I was chatting with our VP customer success and I was literally like, we help customers evaluate their content quite regularly and doors open. Um, so if you have questions on your content or that kind of stuff, please feel free to reach out. Um, if you're not a Clue customer, literally just reach out. We'll find a way to even do it. Literally, our idea is how do we make compete and the compete community better? 
Um, so we're happy to look at battle cards from any sort of realm uh, and we'll figure out what agreements and NDAs we need in place in order to do so. <laughs> but in reality, it's just like, we want to see the best of the best. We want to be able to provide guidance and advice and help the community. Um, so doors wide open. Dave said it better than I could. You might be taking my job as well here. We appreciate everyone. This is all about making the community better, making everyone better. And we'll see everyone next month. Thank you so much.